The wellness company Spike Support Formula is an all natural supplement to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you know what. Go to twccanada.health slash rebel today. Oh, hey, everybody joining us at home. Today is the start of the week and we're kicking it off with tons of content to bring you uh, from the Conservative Convention over the weekend and updates on Tamara Leach's trial. Uh, today is Monday, September the 11th. I'm your co-host, Tamara Ugolini, and I'm joined by our Quebec correspondent, Alexa Lavoie. How are you doing over there, Alexa? I'm really good. And I just passed a really incredible, like, Lot of movement weekend at the conservative convention. Yeah, I'm excited to get your insider scoop and uh, insider details on what happened, how it all unfolded. I mean, I'm sure people who are tuned in can dissect some of the biggest news out of there, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But uh, first and foremost, for all of our viewers at home, thanks so much again for tuning in. You can find us on a few different platforms. So we are currently streaming live on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and Getter. And uh, because of the censorious nature of certain platforms, it's only on Rumble that you can support us through small monetary donations. So you can give us what's called a Rumble rant. And again, through a small monetary donation, you can have your comment read by us on air, whether that's a tip or an opinion or something that you would like to see us chat a little bit more in depth about or get a comment on. It's a great way for our viewers to interact with us directly while we're live. And we look forward always every day to hearing feedback from our viewers, our supporters, because we don't take a penny from the government. We're not a government-funded media source. We rely solely on the generosity of our viewers, and that's what keeps us afloat. So we are here to hear whatever it is you have to say. Uh, so please use that platform if you so please, or if you're able to. Now, I did mention the Tamara Leach trial. So Tamara Leach is on day five of a 16-day trial. It may be uh, 19 days total. The Crown has reserved, uh, I think, three additional court dates. But today is day five. And her, Tamara Leach, and co-accused Chris Barber are being tried for really petty crimes. Um so the official charges are mischief. There's six altogether. Uh, mischief, obstructing police, and counseling others to commit mischief and obstruction um, and intimidation. So not only is she accused of actually doing those things, she's accused of also counseling others to do those things, despite the fact that there has been no actual crime. Um, but maybe that's yet to be determined. So we have videographer Lincoln Jay, who is on the scene. He stays outside of the courtroom to get any notable people who are outside. Uh, and, and then we have our Ottawa respondent, Robert Krejcik, who is actually live tweeting. So you can follow both of those accounts on Twitter, uh, Robert Krejcik and Lincoln Jay. We're also doing a nightly recap video as well as a uh, page. And so all of this can be found at tamaratrial.com. So the written piece kind of compiles all of the most notable tweets of the day every day. Then Robert does a weekly or sorry, a nightly video recap. 
and uh, just going up now, I believe it's it's up or should be up shortly, was a more in-depth interview with one of Tamara Leach's lawyers from the Democracy Fund. That's the Canadian charity who is providing Leach with legal adv- legal defense at no cost to her. Uh, so one of their lawyers, Alan Honor, was on came with uh, on Friday to do kind of a full full scope recap and get some legal insights there. So you don't want to miss it. And I think were we just showing um, a quick video there of of Tamara entering the courtroom today? I think we have some clips that's. That's from this morning. Uh, like I mentioned, Lincoln Jay is outside of the courtroom. He's catching those notable clips. And so uh, some some other th- kind of key details so far from Robert, Robert Krejcik inside the courthouse. Uh, there's some testimony that's scheduled today. The The judge is supposed to have a decision here. I guess the, uh, the Crown, the prosecution has been filibustering with providing evidence and their submissions, uh, which should have been obtained, I believe it was by August 1st. So we're, you know, almost five, six weeks out from that deadline, which uh, the judge found to be, I'm putting words in in her mouth, but unacceptable uh, is what I would say. And so we're looking forward to seeing, you know, it's very early on, but it seems like this judge has been taking a very fair and unbiased approach, which is, in my opinion, exactly how the judicial system should go and should be run and something that we haven't had and uh, I haven't really seen much of throughout the last two and a half, three years. So um, we'll see as it unfolds, but day five is looking looking so good so far. What do you think, Alexa? But I think like this trial, um, it's really important to watch because that the result we show, actually the, the full result of, if this, protest is peaceful or not and so far on the trial what I was like what I heard so far from Robert it seems that everything was peaceful and everybody said that it was peaceful and Robert bring that they were using the TikTok of Chris Barber for some of part of it showing that Chris Barber always told the people to remain peaceful and they did didn't want it anybody that will disturb the event. So they use that against him, but it seems that at the end of the day, the TikTok proved that Chris Barber didn't want it, nothing bad happen. He always say, we want everything peaceful. We just want everything go well. And we want just to ask and show our voice. And it seems that I, for now, everything go on their, on their way. Like everything is positive for Chris Barber. Everything seems to be positive for Tamara Leach. So we just keep an eye on that because the trial is going until October. So um, if you are more interested to know information about it, go to tamaratrial.com. You can see all the coverage and also you can keep yourself updated on the last um, trial every day. It's four days a week, so it's pretty intense. Yeah, it's three to four days um, a week and then they skip a week. I had it written down on another note somewhere here. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, it's from runs from the September 11th, 14th, 18th to 22nd. 
And then October 11th to 13th, uh, for a total of 16 days of trial. Again, today is day five. And then the um, potential dates of October 30th, 31st, and November 1st have been held for potential trial. And I think that was a big reason why the judge was um, upset, for lack of a better word, at the prosecution, the Crown filibustering the evidentiary submissions, was because it's really a waste of the court's time, right? Especially been highlighted throughout COVID is the, the severe backlog on, on the judicial system, especially with criminal law. And not to give away too much of of uh, Alan Honor's interview, the, the the lawyer that Krejcik interviewed on Friday, that interview should be up, uh, if not already, shortly. And um, it's really disrespectful to the people sitting in jail or who may be waiting on bail or so on and so forth to t- unnecessarily tie up the the crown the judicial system uh for for evidence that i mean you've had two years to gather it and submit it it should have all been in by august 1st and the fact that they're still giving this runaround um and the the crown in their opening statements against merrill leach and co-accused chris barber said that the protest was anything but peaceful. And yet, as you mentioned, Alexa, those clips from Chris Barber, from Tamara Leach, from one of the key volunteers, Tom Razzo, they repeatedly stated, remain peaceful, even in the face of police violence, be peaceful, don't resist arrest, et cetera, et cetera. If they they smash your windows, if they're wrecking your vehicles, which they did extensively to these truckers, hundreds of thousands of dollars, excuse me, worth of damage, and the truckers didn't do anything to retaliate against this. Um, so I guess part of the the witnesses that will take stand today, and this is again from Robert Krajcik's Twitter, where he's or his ex, that's hard to get used to, where he posted. Uh, he says, defense counsel for Leach argues that pending testimony from some scheduled witnesses, which include residents of Ottawa, business owners, and Ottawa City Transportation employees, uh, for the Crown, they should be gotten rid of due to central admissions. Okay, that's not the right one. The one I wanted to refer to was, uh, oh, that these people and their testimonies will apparently show uh, and and ascertain how this protest was not, was anything but peaceful. So this still remains to be seen. Maybe there's some larger strategy at play here. Again, we're day five of 16, potentially 19 days of trial. So only time will tell. But if you want to support, if you, you value this this coverage that we're giving this trial, because otherwise, you know, you would have to rely on the mainstream media for their reports. And we know the way that they framed the Freedom Convoy while it was happening. Uh, if you think that this is important and you enjoy having this inside scoop of someone there on the ground dissecting this, giving these interviews, gathering this insight, then please consider supporting our work. And again, you can find out all of this. We've made a website, a URL that you can that's compiling everything for ease of access. That's TamaraTrial.com. Uh, now, without further ado, Alexa, maybe we can go into a little bit of the conservative convention that happened this past weekend in Quebec. So it was great that we had you, especially as a French speaker, to be there. And you caught not only some conservative party members, but also some liberals who, I guess, in a way, tried to crash their party. Uh, The first one here is Pablo Rodriguez. So many of you may be familiar with him. He's the former Minister of Canadian Heritage. He's responsible for all of these online censorship bills. And then in the cabinet shuffle that happened just a few weeks ago, he's now taken on the portfolio of Minister of Transport uh, from Omar Al-Gabra, who I would say was equally as inept as he is, is putting forth uh, policy and legislation that actually works to do any good. 
Um, Alexa, why don't you give us some insider information, what you were on the ground seeing and your reports there? It, it was really, um, you know, the um, conservative convention took place in Le Centre de Congrès for three days, but actually two days and a half because it started really late on the first day. It was only the opening ceremony uh, where um, we had like a couple of speeches. We had uh, actually two former, two former, um, one was the lieutenant and a major. Um, there was Barbara and Michelle Maisonneuve who did a really beautiful speech. They also bring the Freedom Convoy. They, they did like a really small segment about it. Um, I had the chance to interview both of them. Um, I also bring um, why it was important for them to bring the Freedom Convoy on their speech. And um, I think we have a clip on that. I don't know if uh, we can uh, throw the clip for. It's Barbara Maisonneuve who actually speak why um, why she stand by the, the Freedom Convoy and um, why it was the responsibility of Justin Trudeau to talk to them, but he didn't mm -hmm. have actually any... Oh, this clip that we will just see, it's a part of their speech. So uh, let's uh, watch this one first. Canada. Canada deserves a common sense prime minister who will unite us all, who will recognize, respect and embrace the differences of this vast country. A prime minister who will make a policy that makes us all better and all better off. One who will bring us together with his vision and ensure there is a place for every Canadian on his team. A Prime Minister for all Canadians who will unite us by making us see that we count, that every Canadian counts, no matter who they voted for. If Canadians feel strongly about something, a Prime Minister should listen, not attack and insult them. If... <clears throat> Canadians feel so strongly about something that they get into their vehicles and drive to Ottawa to be heard, the Prime Minister should pay attention. So um, it, it was a, a really great moment and a really powerful moment, especially when you think that it's only the opening ceremony. And um, so it's why when I had the chance to meet with them and ask them like uh, their opinion, we mostly talk uh, with them about the national defense. But at the end, I wanted to have their take on the Freedom Convoy. And so um, I had a small clip uh, over uh, about the Freedom Convoy. Do we have that clip to share as well, or will that be from the full report? Yeah, it's uh, it's from the full report that's coming up. But I uh, I share a small clip, and this is this one. It still Here is that. All Canadians matter. It, it doesn't matter who you voted for. The Prime Minister, as the elected Prime Minister, is responsible to look after He's me as well. He's everyone's Prime Minister. So thousands of people were upset about whatever the reason is. If they come this all the way to Ottawa, they deserve to be heard. And what happened afterward 
was was not necessary. I firmly believe that had the Prime Minister met the convoy, they knew, my God, we all knew they were coming, it never would have deteriorated into what happened and we would have saved millions of dollars and these people would not be on trial today. The result of the convoy was his fault and he should have known better. And I firmly stand by that belief. And, and she's <laughs> right. Like nobody will have been in trial today. Nobody will have been beat up, trampled or even shot like me. Um, if the prime minister had just the courage to meet with the protester and talk with them because in a healthy democracy, it's communication. And if you cannot have that skill in this kind of situation where your own people are enough mad, frustrating and desperate to drive all the way to Ottawa to speak with you and you don't have like the single like courage to accord them a couple of minutes of your time. This just show that you, you are not made to be a leader of a country. So, well, I, <laughs> yeah, I let you, what is your thought about that? Well, remember the whole reason why he didn't come out and meet the convoy originally was a, he tested positive for COVID apparently for the yeah. second time, I believe it was. And I think he probably already had two doses of the novel mRNA injection at that point. Um, and so he really went into hiding because we all know that famous clip now where Trudeau says, oh, this is a small fringe minority on their way to Ottawa to to um, air unacceptable views is, you know, essentially both both direct quotes and paraphrasing a little bit. Um, and so he, I don't think, coupled with the Ottawa Police Services, who had also just instituted their own vaccine mandate and lost a, a, a fraction of their force, uh, they were not prepared for the breadth and the magnitude of the trucker convoy that made its way into Ottawa that really just continued to grow, right? There was that first weekend where they were completely overwhelmed. And then every weekend thereafter, that grassroots movement continued to swell that downtown core and logistics were a nightmare. Um, and that's part of the Tamara Leach trial coverage that we're doing is sorting out some of those, those details on what went wrong and why. And so a big part of it was that the A, Ottawa police services were not prepared. Uh, they were told directly from their, the police were told directly from their supervisors. And perhaps there was political meddling in there as well from the prime minister's office, not to concede one inch to the convoy. They weren't willing to work with them. Uh, the convoy always did keep that one lane open for emergency access and traffic and pedestrians and so on. Uh, so I think we're going to find out a lot of these details that, in terms of the ineptitude that was at play, the political interference, and I hope that those details start to be come to light because it's a lot of things that we've suspected all along, and you hear uh, grumblings about if you are if you have uh, ever spoken to anybody who was involved in the Freedom Convoy, like Tom Morazzo, like Tamara Leach, like Chris Barber. I mean, the list is endless. There was a whole team dedicated to what they were doing. And how to best get their message across. Because I think we have to remember as well that Canadians had been ignored by all levels of government. If you questioned the COVID regime, if you questioned the narrative, if you said, hey, these lockdown measures are harming my children, you were framed as some sort of selfish grandma killer and completely disregarded and ignored. And so 
This was the culmination of two years of Canadians being ignored by their political representatives, those people, you know, in a democracy that we're supposed to have, you elect those representatives to represent you. And what Canadians were finding was that was just not happening. And so they took to the nation's capital, which is historically where you would go to protest and air grievances to hopefully have their voices finally heard. And instead of hearing them, Trudeau uh, slandered them, name called them, gaslit them. And then you had their mainstream media lapdogs basically running a concerted, um, similarly, a concerted slandering campaign to paint these protesters as, you know, this fringe minority with far right extremist views. Uh, when in fact, there was a diversity of thought, a diversity of opinion. And all these people wanted was to finally get back to the normalcy we had in the pre-COVID era. So the whole handling of this is, was obviously heavy handed and um, shows how inept the government really has been. Uh, I would argue since you know 2015 when the Trudeau liberals took office, but uh, been very much heightened by the COVID response. So and that was a long-winded way to get back to some of your clips. Sorry about that, Alexa. <laughs> no, but I was just saying that now we probably regret of what he did because right now what we saw is like most of the conservatives that are not the fringe, but actually the opposite, that are voting now for the conservative party that now it's on the poll for more than 40%. So it seems to be like leading at the majority are way, way for the trucker convoy. They are for them. They are with all their heart with Tamara Leach. And um, now I think like probably uh, Justin Trudeau is just like, oops. Um, so I thought I was actually with the majority of Canadian, but act actually I was going against the bigger part of the, the population. And so that will play against him, obviously. And um, it, we were able to see, like, in the Conservative Party, I, I, I was able to feel the united side of the population. They were all together and they wanted to work together to get with some policy that was perfect for the moment that we live on. And I, I was capable to see that all most of the policy that was on the table was in reaction of the bad policy or the bad law that Mr. Trudeau have imposed on Can on Canadian. So just by example, um, we we were talking about, um, well, of course, cal carbon tax, but uh, China interfer um, foreign inter interference. Uh, we had like their ad policy about China, the uh, food sanction, because uh, when you go in war, um, they had like the space of women in the society uh, to protect their space. They had like also another policy on uh, children to protect their mental and physical health. So avoiding uh, children to do any surgery before the age of 18 when we look at gender dysphoria. So there, there was like a lot of different policy and um, it was nice because everybody was capable to debate, communicate and uh, share their own idea. 
nobody was put in the side because he was thinking differently. So it's why it was nice to see. And um, in response of um, many different things, like I know that Pablo Rodriguez went out really late after the speech of Pierre Poliev. I know that Stephen Gilbo also went um, out uh, after seeing the policy of the party. And it was really hypocritical from uh, Stephen Gilbo. He just came back from China and now he was in front of the Centre des Congrès to speak badly about the fact that it seemed that conservative party have no plan for climate change. But in the same way, Mr. Gilbo go to China, doesn't challenge them on their um, their practices on um, emission of uh, the... Uh, yeah, they're building all these coal-fired electricity like, plants. Exactly. So, sorry, it's just because you use like different letters in English and French. Also, we say uh, GRS, but... It didn't challenge them on that. It didn't challenge them uh, on the um, interference in Canada, in our democracy. So it's really hypocritical on his side to just show up. And the thing is, liberal usually, they, they have like a really controlled area for their media. So usually they are in our their comfort, for their comfort zone. And now they arrive in an in a era where... We, you have True North, we, we, you have us, you have many different independent media. And so they, I don't think they were prepared of that. They were like actually seeing like all those media challenging them with like questions that they were not expecting. And so um, it's why like when Pablo Rodriguez came back like the second day, he actually focused on two media only, Radio Canada, that is actually the French CBC and TVA. And he didn't like allow almost like nobody really around or didn't give time to another one. But um, I, I'm working to retrieve uh, the audio for um, one of the questions that I asked to Pablo Rodriguez because I think it was accurate to ask him if to win the next election, a good strategy would be to ask Justin Trudeau to resign. And and he keeps saying that Justin Trudeau loved Canadian, loved uh, Quebecer. He was able to lead them to being elect. And he said that he will be probably able to get reelected again. And I say to him, like in the answer to that, he said, yeah, but if he likes so much Canadian, why did he spend the time to divide, polarize the population with vaccine mandate? And he keep answering to me on, until that I say, but oh, what do you say? Eh, okay, but do you think that we should tolerate from a leader to say, should we tolerate them in the society talking to people who are dissident? And and so it was go on and on with him. And, um, and it's, it's really, you need to understand that it would be really rare to see liberal to answer to independent uh, outlet because usually, as I say, they have a media control, so um, they are not facing independent media. So just the fact that you, you see that they are answering to us, that show that they know they are going to lose. They know that it's not going well for them and they have no choice now to try to gain back some credibility 
uh, among Canadians, but I don't think that will work at all. But mm -hmm. if if you take like um, the clip of Peter McKay, uh, he was a former uh, attorney, general attorney, former um, national defense minister, um, justice minister, and um, it's really interesting because he worked for under Pierre Liot Trudeau, Harper, so many like prime minister, and look at what he has to say about Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau has, uh, in fact, surpassed his father in terms of the division and the derision and the anger and the destructive policies and the diminishing of Canada's reputation. I think he's outdone his father in terms of the damage that he has inflicted on Canadians. What is it about? Yeah. Well, I keep going back to the fact that he quite literally campaigned in the Justin Trudeau um, in the snap election that he called in the fall of 2021. He literally campaigned on the wedge issue of COVID-19 vaccination. And anybody who questioned the safety and efficacy of these novel uh, injections was was again gaslit, denounced, called a uh, conspiracy theorist, anti-vaxxer. Uh, the list, the rhetoric that was espoused by Trudeau. Um, I don't want to play the whole clip, but we have, I think it's a two and a half minute clip of Trudeau on stage rallying the troops, his liberal lapdogs and his uh, clapping seal liberal supporters that you don't have the right to get on a plane, a train or an automobile and put our children at risk and do we talk like you said do we tolerate these people um this is the most segregationist prime minister or global leader that we've seen in a developed democratic nation for as long as i can remember uh that's for certain and maybe i wasn't paying attention before but this mm -hmm. segregationist rhetoric is extremely dangerous and it's a slippery slope. And you're seeing the fallout of it now. I think the conservatives were last time I checked 10 to 12 percent and lead in the polls. Maybe it's more now. It's just so unfortunate that the liberals and the NDP have this unofficial coalition because they basically prop each other up and to form a majority government as to actual fringe minority governments. Um, they prop one another up to form a majority. And so the actual opposition that we have, which are the conservatives and a little bit the Bloc Quebecois, uh, they don't have a leg to stand on as a result. And I also going back to kind of the freedom convoy and how that was a bit of a topic within the convention itself. You know, at that time, we didn't have a strong backboned conservative that was taking that oppositional stance. Uh, there was Aaron O'Toole, who was uh, voted out of the party because he was soft on everything uh, and, and really a, a liberal in conservative clothing. And then you had the interim leader, Candace Bergen, who started to speak up a little bit more, started to be more oppositional, started to question things and provide that so needed and wanted opposition to the unabated liberal uh, rulings. And then now, of course, we have Pierre Polyev, which uh, he's been kind of uh, growing, elaborating further on what Candace had started to do at that time. And so um, I think that's why the convoy is such a key part of their convention was because you 
saw their firsthand, the silent majority. We always hear of, oh, the silent majority. And they're just the people who don't want to be bothered. They just want to be left alone. They're happy to, you know, go to work. They have a roof over their heads. They have a good paying job there. They can feed, clothe and shelter their children. And we're seeing all of that has been completely flipped on its head over the last three years. And again, arguably from starting in 2015, when the Liberals took office. And um, so the more and more Canadians are getting hit where it hurts the most, which is their pocketbooks, uh, the the opposition has more of that backing to and that leg to stand on with that silent majority who's not being silent anymore. And that is mm -hmm. refreshing to see, especially as they vote on things like you mentioned, uh, the gender affirming care for minors. And so we have a written piece here. Uh, just highlighting the conservative members, they they van they voted to ban gender affirming care for minors by sixty nine percent of mm -hmm. delegates uh, supported this non it's a non binding vote so we'll see what actually comes to fruition there but they sixty nine percent of them voted to ban irreversible gender transition for children and teenagers and so that's referred to specifically as medical transition and physical uh and and surgeries um so this isn't like social transition where you're just going by different pronouns or wanting to associate with a different name uh but this is you know that irreversible medical step that happens next and this seems to be kind of infiltrating younger and younger demographics and generations to to undergo hormone therapy and then uh these surgical procedures so that's reassuring to see that you know we want to protect our our minors our vulnerable youth who doesn't have that robustly developed brain to make those reasonable rational decisions for themselves yet and it, like for the people who like say okay this is this is like a part of it but also in the motion what they were saying is like increasing the follow up with the medical uh, professional to help the kids to to with their mental health. Like if they are suffering from gender dysphoria, they will not let alone. They will be followed by the medical care really closely. So it's not just like banning something and not for and not think about maybe some children who are suffering because. We need to say that, yes, there is like children that are suffering from gender dysphoria, but they also mm -hmm. came up with the, for solving a part of the problem until the age of 18. So I think um, the, the full policy was actually complete and, and yeah, it, it was really controversial. I would say like a lot of people were talking about that during uh, these three days. Uh, not knowing so, so much if it would pass the first step because he had two steps. First of all, he needed to be adopted in um, the private uh, room uh, during the first day. And afterwards, he needed to bring in front of everybody and be adopted by not only the member, but also like the, uh, the MP and everybody. So, um, yeah, so he passed. And uh, regarding like the speech of Mr. Poliev, a lot of media have talked about it, and it was a, a really long speech, but a really interesting speech. But I know that her, uh, his wife did speak at the beginning, and this was a really beautiful speech, really nationalist, 
um, we have a part of it we can actually show. She she also talk about truckers. Uh, if you read under the line in between line, I say you can say that she's talking the the trucker from the the freedom convoy, like and and also other trucker, but you will see by yourself. But whenever I think we have it tough, I remember the extraordinary people that carry the country on their shoulders. The nurse, the waitress, the plumber, and yes, the trucker who are suffering more. You, like we know that the nurses had like a really hard time during the vaccine mandate because they were facing losing their job after being like the angel of the, um, the pandemic. Uh, we know that the waitress had a hard time too because they were closing down up down up uh, the restaurant. But the plumber was another um, problematic because. Uh, we know that uh, they needed to go to home and it, it was kind of like really difficult. Some people who didn't want to uh, open their door to people who were, didn't receive the, the shot or everything. So, and the trucker, of course, because they had like a, a multitude of problem, uh, not only like the station was closed for them, but they, they had no place to go to the toilet, to take shower, to go to eat. And they were on the road most of the time. And now they were seeing like their job taking away because uh, they had uh, no option to go and cross to U.S. and come back without doing a quarantine. So, um she talked about the extraordinary people because those people were there and they kept the economy and they kept like the society and everything going uh, same if they had a hard time. Um, she also talked uh, to Quebecer. Um, of course, like I'm from Quebec, so I understand really her speech. It was really beautiful. She bring up like some of our TV shows, some of our culture. So I think a lot of Quebecer saw themselves on her, especially she's immigrant. She she came came to Quebec first. She was really welcomed by uh, us. So uh, it was kind of nice to see not only like we, they, they came to search like the Quebec heart, but also the Canadian heart. So it was really interesting to, to hear and to see. Well, let's go to a quick ad break and then we will come back with some more uh, Trudeau liberals being under fire, both at home and internationally. We're facing an imminent threat. A planned blackout of all news content in Canada is coming to Facebook and Instagram, threatening to silence rebel news and those who depend on us for the other side of the story. The cause? Well, Justin Trudeau's new censorship law, Bill C-18, which demands social media companies pay news outlets for the news stories their users share on the platform. It's a shakedown and a desperate attempt to keep the mainstream media afloat. It seems the billions in taxpayer subsidies just aren't enough to keep the country's propagandists in business. But Meta, 
Facebook's parent company, has chosen to block Canadian news content rather than comply, Rebel News included. Many have already lost their ability to access our Facebook and Instagram pages. The blackout will soon affect every user in Canada. But fear not, we have had a plan to protect your access to our news content. We've partnered with Private Internet Access, PIA, a VPN provider dedicated to safeguarding digital privacy. For just $2 a month, you can maintain your access to our content across all your devices. And unlike other VPN providers, PIA does not store any user data as it's automatically deleted from their servers to avoid leaks and government subpoenas for information. Their servers are located in all 50 states, not the ones in communist China. You can visit PIAVPN.com slash rebelnews and enjoy an exclusive 83% discount and four months free. Use it to bypass regional restrictions and stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world. And stick it to Trudeau's new censorship law. Safeguard freedom of speech and join us to combat Trudeau's censorship today at PIAVPN.com slash rebelnews. All right, so just I was just going, <laughs> was just going um, to say, like, since I have my VPN, my life is way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can access all the content that the liberals don't want you to see. Um, and so while we're on the topic still of conservative and liberals, we'll just share with you quickly this Toronto Star uh, article where it says that millennials are nearly twice as likely to vote for conservatives over liberals. And uh, that's according to a survey. So millennials are that generation between 1981 and 1994, 95, 96 ish. Uh, so roughly 25 and 40 year olds. And I'm a little surprised at this because at, at the events that we we run or the things that we cover, I often see a little bit of an older demographic. So I hear a lot of this from kind of my friend's circle and my social circle, but I don't see a lot of it out in the wild, so to speak. And so this um, this is this is great for me that uh, those previous liberal captured demographic has now switched gears and seeing, again, I think people are starting to see how much their failed policies is hitting them in the pocketbooks. And People of this age demographic, you know, they can no longer, if they have a house, they can't afford it anymore. Um, if they don't have a house, good luck getting into the market. It's a complete disaster. Inflation's through the roof. Cost of living is insane. And so you're starting to see more and more Canadians get involved and in starting to care about what's happening sociopolitically and socioeconomically as a result of that. So this found uh, that the Tories are pulling at 40% among Canadian millennials ahead of NDP at 24% and the Liberals at a mere 21%. Among the younger generation, Gen Z, the Conservatives also hold a strong lead at 32%, 6% points over the NDP and 8% percentage points ahead of the Liberals. Overall, among all Canadians, the survey found Conservatives would capture 38% of the vote, followed by the Liberals at 26% and Jagmeet Singh's NDP with 19%. Uh, so that, you know, that speaks volumes there, how Canadians are feeling and how failed the Liberals have been uh, throughout the last few years and uh, really not trying to make amends at all. And I think people are now obviously waking up to the fact that the Liberals are inept and uh, want to bring, I, I have to say it, what Polyev says, bring common sense home. People are really <laughs> craving that rational approach politically. 
what really like concerned me is to see the yellow growing, the NPD growing uh, over yeah. like the di- different generation because we know that we live in a um, society that now mainstream media and everybody is just going with fear monitoring around like climate change and people are going to NPD or Quebec Solidarity at home uh, because they are the ones who are actually propagating like some fear, crazy fear about like um, climate change. So I, and we see that this is into the um, school institution too. So my only point is like, Probably the next generation, the yellow, but the, the the yellow or the NPD will uh, grow again and again and again. So uh, I think my concern is mostly there. Yeah, well, and we're seeing uh, it's funny right now. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau just to source uh, another article because we have a few things to cover here. I want to get through before. Um, we have to wrap things up. But uh, this National Post article shows that so over the past weekend, uh, Trudeau was in India for the G20 Leaders Summit. And he's currently stranded there um, because his aircraft has experienced some sort of technical issues uh, and it won't be fixed overnight. So whether oh. or not he that has been remedied, I guess we'll, we're soon to find out. But this comes after he faced criticisms from the Indian government. Uh, as per the Globe and Mail, the uh, Indian Prime Minister Modi conveyed strong concerns about protests in Canada against India to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on the sidelines of the G20 summit that just took place in New Delhi, according to a statement by India. And we actually have a clip here to share with you. Um, Well, the first one is what Trudeau said, and then we'll show you a really funny uh, opposition clip thereafter so maybe we can just play that that first uh this comes from the post-millennial this clip of trudeau in india two issues sorry in advance uh, one that has been reported by the indian media quoting indian government sources who say prime minister modi spoke to you about the presence in his terms of uh sikh Palestini militants in canada and the second is uh the question of interference in Canada by India, which has been cited by Canada's own intelligence agencies. Did neither of those topics come up? Uh, No, they both came up uh, over the years uh, with uh, Prime Minister Modi. We've had many conversations on uh, both of those issues. Uh, Obviously, Canada will always defend uh, freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of uh, peaceful protest. That's something that's extremely important to us. At the same time as we're always there, uh, to prevent violence, to uh, push back against hatred. I think on the issue of, uh, of the community, it's important to remember that the actions of the few do not represent the entire community or Canada. Um, on the flip side of it, we also uh, highlighted the importance of respecting the rule of law, and uh, we did talk about foreign interference. Just to deflect a little bit there. <laughs> it's just like at the end, like it's just like, and we talk about it, um, foreign interference, just like, sloop. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we did also discuss this, even though you didn't ask about it at all. Um, and that kind of like seems to be Trudeau just has a script that he has to stick to. And, you know, as you were also finding with the liberal party members that you were asking questions to, you know, they have a script that they're going to just repeat and mm-hmm. parrot. And they can't deter or detract from that because they don't otherwise know what to say or how to handle themselves. 
And, you know, I'm not a huge, uh, you know, I'm not a true believer in Pierre Polyev, for, for instance. And, you know, I think we should always be vigilant to be critical and, uh, uh, and think critically and ask critical questions of anyone who's, who's in charge of leading a country, for instance. Um, but you need to be able to answer questions and think on your feet. And Trudeau has shown repeatedly that he just lacks that capability and uh, judging by his cabinet ministers who are not chosen appropriately, in my opinion, uh, they can't do it either. Um, so we have another clip here to share from the post-millennial. Sorry, I didn't realize there was two. And then we'll get into this really funny news clip uh, from an Indian news network. Hi, what did Canada contribute? Okay. Uh as always, Canada is a strong voice uh, for inclusion of uh, gender language, uh, inclusion of uh, Indigenous uh, reflections. Uh, but all throughout, we made sure that countries around the world are focused on growing the economy in inclusive ways, uh, creating opportunity and prosperity for everyone in a more peaceful, more secure world, uh, respect for the rule of law. Uh, ambition on fighting climate change. These are all things that Canada pushes for at every summit, among others, uh, and we will continue to. Oh my God. I have the impression that he threw like a bunch of words together yeah. and it just doesn't make sense at all. Like gender language and climate change and like uh, rule of law and uh, tons of other words like that in the same sentence. It's mm -hmm. doesn't really answer the question. Well, of course, no, you have to skirt it because it's not part of your talking points, but an inclusive economy. Well, and I, I don't, you know, <laughs> to not to make this a, a trucker centric live stream, but um, what about the truckers that took to your nation's capital to air their grievances with being prevented from doing their, their job in our economy because of a ridiculous, nonsensical, non-evidence-based vaccine mandate being put forward by, I mean, collectively, it was Prime Minister Trudeau and the President of the United States, Joe Biden. But Biden arguably just kind of followed suit with whatever Trudeau was doing. Um, and so, you know, how was that inclusive? How was that part of generating robust economic activity and growth? It's just absolutely absurd. And luckily, you have uh, media like ours that calls it out and calls it as we see it. but. The Indian, uh, this this one Indian news outlet did the exact same. And it's actually really funny to see the kind of coverage that Trudeau gets abroad because he's really the laughing stock of the country. He's he's a clown on the world stage. Um, there's no denying that. Every time he goes to one of these trips, it's just like a, a complete national embarrassment for Canadians. So I think this is about a nine minute clip, but we'll play maybe the first two minutes or so um, before we go to another ad break. Canadian Prime Minister, he's had, of course, a meeting with Prime Minister Modi, and this is what he's come out and said. Let me quote this. Uh, both the issues came up. Over the years with PM Modi, we've had many conversations on both those issues. Canada will always defend the freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, and freedom of peaceful protest. And it is extremely important to us. At the same time, we are always there to prevent violence and to push back against hatred. I think on the issue of the community, it is important to remember that actions of a few do not represent the entire community or Canada. The flip side of it, we have also highlighted the importance of respecting the rule of law and we did talk about foreign interference. This is on the issue of Khalistan. So Justin Trudeau, 
uh, 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 yeah, let's listen in. Then I, then I want to discuss what this, what this fellow says. Over the years uh, with uh, Prime Minister Modi, we've had many conversations on uh, both of those issues. Uh, obviously, Canada will always defend uh, freedom of expression, freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of uh, peaceful protest. That's something that's extremely important to us. At the same time as we're always there uh, to prevent violence, to uh, push back against hatred. I think on the issue of, uh, of the community, it's important to remember that the actions of the few do not represent the entire community or Canada. Um, the flip side of it, we also uh, highlighted the importance of respecting the rule of law, and uh, we did talk about foreign interference. Okay, so I'm going to now uh, shed the diplomaties because when something manifestly insane takes place, uh, in your face, uh, there's no reason to be polite about it. Justin Trudeau has just shown you the finger when it comes to Khalistan. This man has just come after imposing an emergency in his country to crack down on the freedom of expression and the right to peaceful protest and has just talked about the freedom of expression and the rule of law and the right to protest. Okay. Now, the truth is, Mr. Trudeau, uh, like uh, any good Punjabi, I have family in Canada. And I promise you, the nonsense that you're talking is emanating from sheer hubris, a total disconnected view of the world where you think that we don't see what you're up to, we don't understand what you're up to, and you can continue behaving in a totally nonsensical fashion, talking nonsense. You impose an emergency in your country. Your father imposed an emergency in your country. Your democratic credentials are under deep question. And if Khalistan is a problem, and if a Khalistan is to be created, it is more likely it is going to be created within the territorial boundaries of Canada. And let me add to that, we should become, or at least I will, become the biggest proponent of the independence of Quebec which has been trying to secede from Canada for the longest period of time. And we have, I have a big question. Yeah, all of that kind of aside, uh, the larger issues there of Quebec and so on. Uh, I notice, uh, you know, I note here that he says manifestly insane. I mean, imagine our mainstream media could speak like that over the absolute nonsensical hypocritical things that Justin Trudeau says and does. Um, sheer hubris. I mean, repeatedly, I, I say sitting up in their uh, ivory towers, completely out of touch with what real everyday Canadians are going through. That's the Liberal Party of Canada. Uh, and with a disconnected view of the world. And so that kind of one lends into the other, just sitting up in your ivory tower, being blissfully unaware that anybody's struggling and continuing to push your ridiculous agendas, you know, like climate change and this, this carbon tax and the idea that taxing everybody to oblivion will somehow cool the earth and capture carbon. It's just, it is manifestly insane. He's calling it like it is. And I, I am here for it. And um, if you listen what uh, Justin Trudeau say, he say the action of the few doesn't represent Canada. Okay, so for you that apply, but when it was a convoy and they had one flag around almost like hundreds of thousands of people, the action of the few began the action of the total of the person. 
So there is a double standard right there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and the hypocrisy, I mean, it's, I'm up to my ears in it at this point. Um, you can't even keep track because it seems like there's a new hypocritical thing happening every single day. Um, but I know we said we'd go to an ad break, but I'm just taking note here. I do have an, an interview lined up shortly after the live stream. Um, so I'm just going to get through this next clip that we have and we'll chat about it before we get into some of our rumble rants. Um, and we'll just skip that ad, ad break because uh, we're running out of time. And thanks so much for your in-depth analysis, Alexa, about what happened at the conservative convention. Uh, so to, to get some more Ontario specific uh, news worthy hits here, uh, this was Doug Ford. He was in Kitchener over the weekend at Ford Fest and uh, we caught some clips our super producer Efron was on the scene and uh he caught a clip here of Ford denouncing how these radical rogue school boards have instituted their own willy-nilly policies to gender affirm and social transition children without their parents knowledge and or consent we're making sure we're making the appropriate changes in education Focusing on what matters, that's math, writing, arithmetic, engineering, making sure they understand the fiscal responsibility. But most important, most important is the parents' rights. The parents' rights to listen and make sure they are informed when their children make a decision. They can, you know, it's not up to the teachers, it's not up to the school boards to indoctrinate our kids. You know, it's the parents' responsibility to hear what the kids are doing and not the school board. I can't even figure out what school boards do nowadays, by the way. I'm yeah, you and me both, Mr. Ford. You and me both. I'm, wa I'm wondering if it would change like his mind in like two seconds as he did like before. It's, it's flip-flopping flip all the time, so... I uh, will see in the future if he's not like changing his mind on that. Yeah, and how it's actually implemented on the ground, right? You can say all of these things and they sound all good and well as you're spewing it. Um, and this, this just to give some context here, and um, oh, I don't know what happened. I'm trying to pull up this web page. So uh, I did a, I wrote a news jack, a written piece about this back in August. But uh, this is in res in terms of Education Minister, Ontario Education Minister Stephen Lecce. He has legislated new powers to himself, which, you know, is always kind of a risky thing. I don't don't agree that heavy handed legislation should be necessary. But in certain instances and in terms of these rogue school boards, it may be necessary. But it's called the Better Schools and Student Outcomes Act. And it's supposed to increase transparency and accountability of the school board. So uh, if you scroll down a little bit on that page, uh, there's a tweet embedded from Le uh, Stephen Lecce himself. We're following through on our commitment to parents, uh, back to basics in the classroom, accountability on school boards and empowering the voices of parents, right? Because last year, the last year's school year, we saw parents uh, like Nick Marabito in Ottawa, who was saying like any any boy who can come in and just all of a sudden arbitrarily decide I'm a female, I'm a woman and can use the bathroom with my daughters. Uh, this gives me grave safety concerns for my children. 
And when he was expressing his concerns over this policy and how it could be maybe better applied, or if there was um, a, a gender-free washroom, but still the girls' washroom and the boys' washroom that are specific to male and female, and then maybe you have a third option, which I believe the school does have that one specific to anybody who wants to be gender fluid or or non-binary or whatever it is that they they want to identify with, and that could be a changing fluid thing from day to day. Um, and he was actually cut off and silenced by, we know this radical school trustee, Nellie Kaplan Murr. Um, and so it's instances like this where parents have, have legitimate concerns, like pornographic content being found in their school libraries for young grade school children. The, uh, the surveys that are being instituted by the school boards being put forward in the school system, unbeknownst again to parents without their knowledge, without their consent. When parents raise these concerns, they're labeled as far-right misogynist transphobes. Um, and so this, I think, if you read between the lines on some of what the government's putting forward, was a way to try to increase, as they say, the accountability and the transparency and empower the voices of parents to actually be heard and, and play at that role again in their children's education. So we'll see how it actually gets instituted on the ground. What I notice just um, as a parent um, this year so far is that there's far less PA days, which I thought was interesting because part of this legislation mandates school boards to share what is on the agenda on PA days. And so there used to be at least one, if not two PA days every month, from what I remember um, in previous years. And this year I was looking at the school calendar and there's maybe one a month, some months there isn't one at all. And so that really stood out to me first and foremost, that school boards are kind of maybe scrambling going, oh, wait, we have to like like put forward an agenda. What are we working on this day? And if there's nothing to work on, then we can't take a PA day. Um, so, you know, the school year has just started. We're only the second weekend, but I think we'll start to hear more rumblings and grumblings from parents on either side, uh, about what's happening. But we know that the vast majority of Canadian parents, A, have said that the schools are on the, the wrong track and need a course correction and B, uh, agree that parents, especially in children under 16, 18 should be informed that their children mm -hmm are trying to socially or otherwise transition at school. Um, so this is definitely a majority thing that, that parents are taking that sensible approach to. It's crazy when you see, it, 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 it's just crazy when you think that it, it goes that far for people to realize that maybe we need to take action. It's well, I think that the, the, I think parents and the population at large are just so consumed by the rat race, right? You work your nine to five, you get home, you, if you're a full-time working parent and your children go to school, uh, there's not a lot of time left at the end of the day to actually parent. And A, mm -hmm. well, first and foremost, that's, that's really sad. But um, secondly, parents are just so consumed by the rat race that they forget that they still need to have a role in their child's education and get to know the school, get to know the teacher, get to know the principal. Um, ask your children, what are, their, what are they learning? What are they teaching you about? If you hear these words, you know, come be on high alert. And that education mm -hmm. really starts at home first and foremost. And I think parents have just trusted 
that the system had their best, their children's best interests at heart, that they were teaching them. They're, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. That's the three R's. That's their traditional curriculum that used to be housed within uh, public schools. And somewhere along the line, that has been, took a serious left turn. And we, it's time to get a course correct. And parents are, are only now becoming more and more and increasingly aware that this is happening. And I think that is also due to independent media who are saying, hey, what is this weird, these weird terms that our kids are learning about? And why are these graphic novels depicting sexual acts and, and other things that are, you know, grotesque and inappropriate? Why are they coming to our school system? Why is a drag queen coming to read our kindergartners stories in the library? Like what happened to the librarian? <laughs> um, and so I think that, that that highlights the importance of independent media and um and the ability to to again think critically and ask those questions without being gaslit or disregarded because then no one no one wins then um when we just have one idea at the arena of ideas so uh we have a couple rumble rants that we'll get to before we wrap up the stream. Thank you to Fraser McBurney for your contribution. It's been over a month and the government still has not told the truth about the over 325 children who are missing from the Maui fire and why the school buses were missing on the day of the fire. Alexa, you were there in Maui. Um, can you speak to that at all? But of course, like they didn't say like how many children was found dead. Um, the also, there is like a problem with the DNA because a burning body is a burning body. Sometimes like it takes time to know who is the person. Um, I think a lot of people want to know like how many children um, are in the um, victim because we know that it was supposed to be the first day of school and the school was canceled. A lot of those the kids were supposed to be not at home, but a lot of them were at home without network, without any signal to warn them to leave the home. Either the parents were not capable to reach out to them to say to evacuate. So a lot of people, not only on the ground, but a lot of people think that on the victim will be a lot, a lot of children. And the, the school bus, um, I don't know about that, but there was no school that day. So probably there was no school bus either. So um, school were, were, was closed. It was closed because the wind was too strong because there were, were not, no electricity, no power. So I don't think we need, the focus should be on the school bus, but mostly that we know, want to know how many children are on the victim. Mm -hmm. And of course, how to prevent such a devastating tra tragedy from happening again, um, which seems exactly. pretty clear to me that it would be to have sounded the alarm. Uh, that just makes no sense that the authorities decided, oh, well, if people if we sound the alarm, people will run for the hills, which is where the fire is coming from. I think that at that point, you can see for yourself, oh, wow, there's massive fires blowing our way. We better not run directly mm -hmm. into it. Um, I think... Uh, it's a reoccurring theme that our officials think that we're dumb and don't have the capability to think for ourselves and think critically and manage a situation. Um, and that's really sad because there was a lot of lives lost needlessly in that tragedy. And, 
it's, it's even worse when you think that because of the wind and because the the Hawaii Electric that didn't like spend money to keep their infrastructure and their power line adequate. All, a lot of their, those power lines fall on the ground, on the main road, stopping people to evacuate the town because the police, they had as order to not let pass car on power line because this is dangerous for electrification. So they were sending back people directly where the fire was. So people were kind of trapped in the, that town. And unfortunately, a lot of people die in their car. And this is like really heartbreaking when you think that n- nobody told them like, just run in, like into the field, run into like the property of someone to just escape and save your life. Yeah, it's really, really sad. I'm just looking at the second Rumble rant here. Uh, Orissia, I think I pronounced that correctly, gives $10. The current Canadian flag is the same color as China, the Liberal Party, and blood, question mark. Time for an update to the Canadian flag. Again, five or six flags before to reflect a coast-to-coast flag. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I was, I'm actually just looking up uh, the the flags of British North America um the historic flags i mean all of them mostly have incorporated some sort of red uh i guess the very first flag was mostly blue but you know you can find symbolism in quite literally everything um and so i I, you know i don't think there will be ever a time that everyone will be happy with with one specific thing i don't know that the that should be a priority right now is to update the canadian flag especially in light of you know, you had those uh, those hysterical liberals and hysterical citizens, low information citizens of Ottawa who are saying, oh, the Canadian flag is now tainted for me because of the freedom convoy. And how dare they use this flag in this way to protest peacefully at our nation's capital. Um, and so some people are really like slighted by this use of the Canadian flag and I think would probably love to see it updated. I don't know that that's a good use of resources or taxpayer dollars at this point, but you know, the liberals just re-envisioned and reimagined and redesigned the passport. So then again, I wouldn't put it past them. Um, I don't personally think that's, that's a priority, but uh, yeah, red does have connotations with the, I guess China, the Liberal Party, and certainly blood. Um, whether or not that's worthwhile to redesign a flag over, I don't know. What do you mm. think, Alexa? But first of all, why Quebec is blue? It's because we represent the French and we represent like the fleur de lis. But if the Canadian flag is red, it's because it represents the roses. Because we, the the um, the English came and they win. So they represent the red. So I don't think there is like nothing to change on our flag. I think um, uh, maybe some people doesn't like it. Maybe yeah, it's red, like China is red too. But I think uh, that it's a part of our culture and uh, and changing it will erase a part of our culture as woke one. They want to erase a part of us, a part of our history, a part of our culture, as what Justin Trudeau did with the Canadian passport, erasing some important um, monument to put like picture of himself or picture of like uh, snowballs. So um, I think 
I think right now what we need to do is preserve what we have, preserve our history, our heritage, and make sure that we always remember, always remember what it did, though. That's right. And I think the Canadian flag, the reason why it uses red, um, and maybe someone in the chats could let me know if I'm wrong, but it's because of the the red maple. Um, that's that's also, our, our national symbol is that, that Canadian maple. Um, so, so yeah, that's, thanks for your comment. Uh, that's interesting. And I'm on the, uh, uh, government of Canada website. Yeah. You can see we pulled up one of the, there's posters here actually that you can order, which are kind of fun. And if you're a nerd, like I am, uh, I would totally have <laughs> one of these things in my, in my office. Maybe you'll see one behind me here soon. Um, but there's all these different flags, flags of British North America, the provinces, the territories, um, you can scroll through and then you can click on the, the links there to get the poster. Um, and pull it up, but there's historical flags. And so it's kind of cool to look back on, you know, maybe you learned this at some point in your life and then forgot about it like me, but uh, yeah, it's definitely worth worth noting and maybe looking into further. So with that, we're about 11 minutes past the hour. And if there's no other rumble rants, then we'll wrap this up. Thanks so much for joining me, Alexa, and for giving some keynotes from the unfoldings over the weekend at the Conservative Convention. Thank you to all of our viewers at home who support our work. Thanks to all of our Rumble ranters who share your rants with us and help to keep our independent journalism afloat. And uh, of course, everybody behind the scenes who makes this stream possible. Super producer Efron, the back end there, pulling up all these links for us and sharing visuals on screen. Everybody who you know even shares this on social media and comes up with the verbiage used to get our message across and what we the topics that we'll be discussing with you. Uh, so we'll see you again the same time and place tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern. And I guess, as David Menzies would always say, stay safe and stay sane. Stay sane. Do you want to start feeling like your pre-COVID self again? You're not alone. The wellness company's Spike Support Formula is an all-natural supplement to help people do just that. It was created by cardiologist Peter McCullough and his expert team of doctors to help the people experiencing effects from COVID and the you-know-what. Go to twccanada.health slash rebel today.